Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers who know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and Lovander is my favorite pal. No reason. I'm Jason, and I'm contractually obligated to catch them all. I'm Jackson, and I caught a human the moment I knew I could. For the past 20 years, Pokemon has ruled the roost of monster-catching games. Now, a new contender has entered the arena, and it's going guns blazing. Are there guns We're talking this about game? all things Pal World, Pokemon, and we're going to dip into the recent Sony State of Play and Steam Next Fest. Let's get into it. I get it. Guns blazing. Yeah, it's because they Cause have it's, guns. Because it's just like Jeff Keighley said. <laughs> Eventually. It's Pokemon with guns. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe Jeff said uh, the quiet part out loud. That was like during the Game Awards too, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Specifically, it was like a setup to talk about Pal World, which is very funny. Like, I know that this game is not hidden its Pokemon <laughs> influences by any means, but that would be like if one of the developers just came out and said like, Man, we love Pokemon, so we wanted to do it again. <laughs> um, but actually, when you get into the nitty-gritty of the game, I don't think it's that similar in, of, to Pokemon in terms of what you're doing. It's just like a couple of specific ideas they copied in such a blatant way. Yeah, like, <laughs> like other than just you throw balls at animals to catch them, and a lot of the po- lot of the pals look like Pokemon, that's really, that's really it. That's the only similarities. Well, yeah, it, it's it's funny. In my head, I kind of break it down into like the pals are in three groups. And the biggest one is like moderately original. Like not great, but they're not setting off any red flags of like, hey, we ripped this off of someone else. Then there's like a smaller group that's like pretty similar to Pokemon. <laughs> Ones that you can look at and be like, yeah, I see what they did there. And then there's like a really small group. Yeah, they're like really similar ones in that middle group. Where they look just like they could be Pokemon, but they're vague enough where it's just like, well, I don't know if Pokemon owns the concept of a duck or <laughs> right. like right. a hedgehog. Yeah. I, I can't say anything about this one looking like Shaman yeah. because like that's just what hedgehogs look like. <laughs> right. But then there's this 10%, this like really small group at the end that's just like one to one Pokemon. <laughs> Like, there is one that looks just like Lycanroc. There's one that looks just like Lucario. There's one that looks just like Luxray. Like, at least with, like, Lucario and Luxray, they have some color swaps. The one that looks like Lycanroc just is Lycanroc. Like, everything about him is just one-to-one the same as the Pokemon. And it's it's really sad, because I think if they just got rid of that 10% of Pokemon, or pals, and they just called them something else, or made them look different, and they, like got rid of some of the the drastic similarities like how similar pal balls are to pokeballs like i think that this game could still stand on its own legs and be totally fine but i just think it everything it does it just that that last like 10 yeah. percent is just a little too similar for its own good yeah i mean i feel like before we get too far into this we should probably give like a 
a mile high explanation <laughs> of what Pal World is. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. just in case anyone hasn't seen it or hasn't played it. Well, because I think even if you've seen the trailers, you probably don't know exactly what it is until you give it a shot. Yeah, and there's honestly not much to explain either. Well, it it is simply just uh, you wake up on an island and there are these. Weird little creatures running around. You There's wake like up on like, the beach of an island with these weird creatures but, running around. Yeah. And, and then, then later when you actually the- start the game, you're at the top of a mountain for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, and, where are you? Go ahead, Jackson. And, and from there, it just like, it, it just kind of opens up almost immediately, which makes sense because it is a survival game. Um you just talk to some random person or like, oh yeah, there's all these pals around, but they'll they'll eat you up. Um and th- that's kind of all the setup. It was kind of funny because I watched uh Yahtzee Croshaw's video where he was talking about Power World, and he started it by talking about how everyone talks about how Power World is ripping off Pokemon, but no one talks about the far more egregious fact that it's ripping off Ark Survival Evolved. Right. I have seen some one-to-one shots of, like, UI stuff and some of the individual assets for tools and base stuff. It looks so much like Ark. I mean, like, a lot about this game is very, very similar to Ark. Now, as someone who hasn't played Ark, that did not register with me right away. But, yeah, uh, looking back on it, there's some stuff that's just, like, exactly the same. Even, like, from what I was reading, even the progression arc in terms of how many resources you need to get to this next set of tools and how that tool, like, those tools will increase, like, how automation works. Like, even a lot of that stuff is very, very similar to arc. Um, you can really tell most people are just focused on the Pokemon similarities because I'd never heard of that until <laughs> well, now. Well, that I mean, that's the thing is so much of this game has been completely swept under the rug because of those Pokemon similarities. Like... Ark is not a big game. It is not like it has a very, very devout fan base, but it's not one that brings in millions and millions of players. Pokemon does. So they come to this game expecting it to be so much like Pokemon and it's not. So they're just like, wow, this is great. And like for me, I really enjoy Power World. Like I have I've put probably 30 ish hours in this game and I've really enjoyed it so far. I think it has some of the most glaring issues I've seen in a game that I still think is really fun, but I I have really enjoyed my time with it because I really like the idea of survival games, but there are very few I've been able to really connect with. And I think this game has a really cool hook with this like, you know, go and catch all the pals, go and beat all the bosses thing, which is like your clear goal. And then the survival stuff is more the means to an end than it's like the focus of the game like it is with something like minecraft like i yeah i i like this game a lot if there was a version of this game that was made by a more experienced developer and wasn't doing some shady pokemon ripoff stuff i think it would be incredible however i don't think it would have 20 million players or whatever if it wasn't a pokemon ripoff on some capacity or at least appearing that way (laughs) I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's pretty clear that Power World is just another survival game with a gimmick. And I think what makes Power World work, whereas so many of those other survival games just feel samey and boring, is just how well integrated the uh, the gimmick is to the survival portion. Right. right. Because the whole time mm-hmm. that you're out catching pals 
with your pal sphere. They're not pokeballs. They're pal spheres. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like you're able to send them back to your camp, and all of the pals on your camp will basically just kind of wander around and look for jobs to do. And as you level up and get further into the game, you you're able to create more stations for like crafting or chopping down trees or mining that the pals can work at. And different pals have different abilities. So like some pals are good at mining. Some pals are good at chopping trees. Some will plant seeds for you, stuff like that. And as you get further away from where you start in the game, the pals that you find generally, they get more powerful, but they also have a lot more skills that they can do. So whereas like early on, you might have a pal that can only do planting seeds. If you travel for like five minutes away from the spawn or 10 minutes or whatever, like eventually you'll probably run into a pal that can maybe do half of the different skills. Or I'm assuming that late game, there are probably pals that are just good at just about everything yeah. or really good at some things like, right. So there is this incentive for the survival portion to get out there, even if you're not super interested in taking out the bosses or if you don't want to do the story stuff at all, honestly. Yeah. And I think the game does a really good job of the base building and survival and the exploration and combat can be as separate or as connected as you want them to be. And I think for me, that's sort of what made this game click when a lot of others didn't. It's that the base building survival stuff is very much separate for me. And then once I've done everything I plan to do with that and I'm just waiting on stuff to finish or I'm waiting on more resources or whatever, then I go out and do the exploration stuff for half an hour. And then I come back to the base and you know I have all these resources that have been gathered because I've automated all these systems. Like I think that hook is very, very fun. Like I am, I am absolutely like stuck in this this loop and I, I think it's really cool the way it's integrated now the big issue with the game for me above anything related to the the blatant ripoff of certain pokemon designs and and arc systems is the fact that uh other than the pals themselves everything about this game is hideous <laughs> like this game is. Oh, I think gross that the pals themselves are pretty hideous too. Well, so, not because of their designs, but just they stick out like so a sword. So everything thumb. in this game is pretty clearly taken just from the. I think it's the Unreal Asset Store or whatever, right. whatever engine this is in. Like, it's a lot of that brick wall texture that you've seen in a million other games, <laughs> yeah. or the the grass. It's just the grass from every other indie game on <laughs> on the engine, right? Like. And then the pals all have this very smooth, almost, not even almost, this very smooth, like, cartoony look to them. And then they're standing against grass that's at least supposed to look kind of realistic. (laughs) Right. That's sort of what I mean. Like, I think if you took the pals themselves out of this and put them into, like, a Dragon Quest game, I think they would look fine. But against this world, it's so boring. (laughs) I actually like that it's a fairly realistic looking world and then all the creatures look like they're out of a cartoon (laughs) i think that it really falls apart once you introduce the guns because you don't get guns in this game until like level 20 ish a little bit higher i think which is a a while like you have to play at least several hours of this game to get to that point and the level the rate you level up slows to a crawl after that point um and the guns 
you know, at first you're getting like bows and uh, and a crossbow and spears and stuff, and I think that that kind of fits the vibe. But then, like level twenty five, you just get like a real ass Glock, <laughs> and and that's absolutely insane. <laughs> You just play in the survival game, and then eventually the game's just like, okay, here's an AK-47. Basically. Wait, And you're on. like, wait, does Russia exist in this world? I never got to the guns. Can I give it to the pals? No, but some pals oh. can just pull guns out of thin air, which is even funnier, because they can do that well before you can craft them for yourself. Like, there's this little chipmunk yeah. guy you can catch very early in the game, and at, like, level six or something, you can get an upgrade where he can just pull out twin smgs this game even is incredible. though you did not give him those smgs where did he get them how did he learn to make them it's why would you make them for him and not just for yourself <laughs> right right yeah it's just like it's it's not that any one part of this game is like that egregiously ugly i mean well that's not true no, the whole <laughs> <Yeah>. thing, <laughs> it's the it's the juxtaposition is just so jarring like if it just looked bad that's fine it's the fact that some stuff looks terrible and some stuff looks fine in a completely different art style is just so weird yeah i i remember uh, jordan you were telling us uh, yesterday but, how like far out from the the start you can encounter a lot of really bad textured stuff I only got like right two teleportation towers out before I started seeing poorly textured stuff. Well, the draw distances oh, are bad I think that all the, the ex- time. But no, I mean stuff like, like right in front of me that was textured oh. bad, like a I mean, rock that just looked like it hadn't loaded properly. Oh, see, I haven't had that problem as much as it's just like if you just get on a mount and fly off like fifteen minutes in a straight line from your base, where I guess they've clearly focused on the areas closer to the spawn first. You'll find areas where it's just like completely barren. There are no pals. They look way like lower res than everywhere else. I mean, maybe it is still just a loading issue, but it's you'll you'll just randomly find a stretch of like nothing. But it's weird because if you keep going past that, you'll get back to finding lots of pals in a very diverse ecosystem. It's very strange. So yeah, I traveled like fifteen minutes away from the base when I was playing it the other day. And I found like this island and there were ruins all over the place and different pals that I had never seen before. And then I went just a little bit further and I was in this like really dense, really ugly forest. And it was way too big. There were barely any pals. And most of the pals that I could find there were ones that were also just back on the mountain where you originally spawned. It's incredible. (laughs) I don't know. I think that was when I really got disillusioned with the game in a lot of ways was just getting there and realizing like oh yeah it's pretty clear that these people don't really have any idea what they're doing <laughs> right and like now something i think, I think a- they did a, something i think they do know what they were doing with is the survival mechanics of the game i think the, oh, survival- the ones that they stole from arc one for one <laughs> yeah uh, I, I i really like the survival mechanics of this game uh jackson here resident survival game fan uh, i've only played like five of them but really like them (laughs) um i think a lot of the systems are really cool i really like the base systems that the game has i think there's some cool stuff you can put in them i like i like the base management that's something that i feel like a lot of survival games that i've played don't have because like valheim you know you make a base but it's just like a living quarters basically you'll have 
like stuff to craft and stuff to smelt ores and all that. Um, and Minecraft, you can make stuff automated, but it's very, it's not very guided, and you you just got to know how to use redstone. <laughs> but in Power World, almost everything can be automated by your pals, and they work like in your base. And you can set up things to like make them happy, like a a hot tub. <laughs> Uh, set up a little ranch for them to like graze and if you have sheep or chickens uh, they'll like leave wool or eggs around stuff like that I just I really think that that stuff's real neat yeah I mean I think that the base building is definitely the strongest part of this game and I feel like it's the part of the game that it inspired or not inspires you but uh, it's the part of the game that it really like leads you to the most yeah because when you're playing fairly early on it gives you a set of like goals to go for for the tutorial and most of that just kind of comes down to level up your base like you want to build this and this and this so your base can be a higher level and as you level up your base you're able to craft new items or have more pals to work at your base and eventually you unlock the ability to have multiple bases so you can have like a mining base a, a foresting base Foresting's not the word, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you can hyper. You can have different bases on, with like yeah. different focuses. Yeah, right. yeah. Which I think is a really nice touch. Like I've enjoyed the exploration in this game, and like going out and finding pals. But most of the fun I've had is just from the base systems and the survival systems. Yeah, I think it's funny how the last mission in the tutorial is to go take down the battle tower that's nearest to you, because it'll be like capture 10 of this pal that's like really common and is only like level two or three near your base and then the next quest is like okay go fight this level 25 boss <laughs> yeah it's like well obviously you're not going to be able to do that right now <laughs> i sat on that quest for like a couple of days after i finished the rest of the tutorial <laughs> yeah i finished yeah. the rest of everything in the tutorial last night and uh it will be a while until i fight that boss yeah now, I think we've had a lot of negative things to say about Power World, and I think it's very well deserved, and I don't think they're fixing a lot of it, even though it is early access. But the good ideas here, I think, are really good. And I think that if we're going to keep comparing it to Pokemon, I think it would actually be worthwhile for Pokemon to kind of look back at Power World and be like, okay, there's some stuff there. <laughs> uh, because, like, I think that you know, Pokemon Legends Arceus is the best thing that the Pokemon company has done in a long time. I mean, it's not great. Like, I think it still had some major, major flaws. But I do think is, that the core there was really cool. Yeah. And, like, a good future there. And, man, if they could take the Legends Arceus formula and take some of, like, the base building and management stuff from this game and put it in, they'd have, like, an honest-to-God masterpiece on their hands. Yeah, I, I feel like I was pretty harsh on Legend Arceus when we reviewed it, like, two years ago now. But every time I look back, I'm like, that was honestly a pretty good game. It was just insanely ugly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it was a good game, but it was so shallow. Yeah. And, like, there wasn't really much to do beyond go out and catch the Pokemon. And right. I, I think something that would really improve that, especially with a world design like Legend Arceus, is survival systems yeah i i think that definitely like some kind of cooperation between you and your pokemon would be really cool right. yeah yeah because i feel like a- because like it feels like the only thing you can do with pokemon is fight right and 
whenever you're watching the anime, they're spending 99% of their time with their Pokemon not fighting. Like, they're hanging out and they're helping to cook or, you know, like, going on wacky adventures together that don't always involve just fighting the next Pokemon that they run into. And I feel like... I think Legends Arceus, like, a sequel to that would be really cool if it implemented some of that stuff. And I feel like I've spent more time with my pals in, like, less than five hours of Power World than I have after playing, like, seven different Pokemon games. (laughs) Well, yeah, because Pokemon only really incentivizes you to have six Pokemon that you, like, regularly take around with you at any given time. right. And, like, Power World... And then the rest of them are just turned into data and living in a box. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, Power World, you can have up to five uh, pals in your party, and then where I'm at right now, I can have seven in my base, so that's already more. (laughs) I mean, I have... Uh, I mean, I'm pretty far into Pal World. I have three bases that each have 15 pals in them, and like they are all actively doing jobs. And you know, I don't necessarily remember every single pal I have in each of the bases, but like I am much more aware of what each of them are good at than I am about individual stats of random, you know, middle of the road Pokemon that didn't find a place on my team. And I don't think that. Pokemon necessarily needs to have as complex of a crafting system and survival system as a game like Pal World or Ark. But even if it was oh, yeah, just definitely not. even if it was just like there are these five resource generators or whatever, and you need certain types of Pokemon to run them. Like if you yeah. could have like this bench will make Pokeballs for you if you have an electric type, a fire type, and a grass type, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, running it. Like I think something like that could go a really long way. And specifically, if you take a lot of the progression systems that are normally story-gated and you tie them to those. Like, getting better Pokeballs requires, you know, having better Pokemon running those types of machines. Versus just, you beat three gym leaders, now you can use Ultra Balls or whatever. Yeah. Well, something I like about Pal World is that it really incentivizes you to have pals in your team, like on your squad. Even if they're not necessarily just for combat. Yeah. Because, you know, while you're out exploring, like if you run into a rock and you want to do some mining so you can make more PAL spheres, or if there's like a tool that's broken and you want to repair it or something like that, like you can send one of your PALs out to help you while you're mining. Right. Or even just to mine while you go chop down trees. Like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that the PALs can do beyond just fighting. And Pokemon's never had that in the games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Legends Arceus almost got there because there were more like resources and things you had to pick up because you had to craft Pokeballs versus just make them or just buy them. But at the same time, yeah. I don't think it went quite far enough for that to be more than just kind of an annoyance. Whereas I think if they like went all in having to craft resources like your Pokeballs and your healing items and I don't know what else. Pokemon really doesn't have a lot of items. But like, if you had to actually craft that stuff, or you were incentivized to craft that stuff, I think it would make them a much more yeah. interesting. And uh, like, one of the big thing, things oh, with Legend Arceus is that it was it was open zone. So there was what was it five different areas that were pretty yeah. different from each other. Yeah, right. So like, you could easily have a base for each one right. that is set for different like sort of resource managements. Because like, the yeah. first area in the game is like rolling hills and woods and stuff so like that one can easily be set for like getting wood and water a lot and then the next one is like i think it was like this like marshland or something 
and like kind of like stone formations everywhere. So it can be good for like in stone and stuff. So I think that'd be interesting. And I yeah. think even the newer, like or not newer, but like the one set, the Pokemon game set in modern age times. I think even those with the trajectory the trajectory that they are going they can even do like even if it's not a base system but like a camp system because like i can't think of the name of the region but the region from um i can't even think of the name of the game scarlet and violet <laughs> scarlet and violet yeah like paldea 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 yeah um was the first complete open world pokemon game and if it had some sort of like camp system i think that would have improved a lot of the issues with it because a lot of times it just I, felt like i don't think that scarlet and violet's issues have anything to do with mechanics like that yeah i don't know how much of scarlet and violet is salvageable just based solely on the fact that it was ugly and bland and the open world was hyper repetitive like well it, would it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't fix the the ugliness there's no way to fix that sure, and game right. game freak will never spend money to do that um, but I mean, like, if you added some sort of survival system to Scarlet and Violet, you can do a lot more with the world. I do want to go back to the beginning of what you just said, where you referred to, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus as being open zone. We laughed when Sonic Frontiers threw that term around, but I feel like we've been using it a lot since <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do think it's the best way to describe a lot of games where it's, it's not one open world, it's a bunch of smaller open worlds, which I guess technically means it's not open world, so we gotta have something else. I think but, open yeah. zone sounds a lot better than semi-open world. Yeah. Destiny's an open zone game. I think there's a lot of stuff that, uh, there's a lot of stuff in the gaming world that needs to be redefined, uh, however we keep using these weird portmanteaus or these weird over-descriptors instead. Like, I recently uh, saw some controversy about calling games like uh, Hollow Knight or the new Prince of Persia Metroidvanias, because, like, that's so far removed. And uh, at first, I saw people being like, we should call them search action games. And I laughed, but I was like, no, that's right. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> so, so we just need to be more open to uh, redefining all the dumb things in the gaming world. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny with Metroidvanias how we didn't even try to give it a genre name. Right. We were just like, what's the two best yeah. ones that are like this? All right, let's just put them together. Yeah. Well, and like Soulsborns, there needs to be there needs to be something else. <laughs> so <sighs> Soulsborn made more sense when it was only FromSoft that was really making yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. Now it's everybody. Everybody's making either a uh Games of service game or a Souls like that's that's all that that's all the games are these days. So I wanna I wanna go back to one more big thing about Power World before we move on. Something that I think Pokemon absolutely needs to borrow from this, and we've seen it's possible and we've seen it can be done with a small team. If a Pokemon The pal that wants to have sex with <laughs> Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> if if a Pokemon is large enough for me to ride on it. I should be able to ride on it without question. In Pal World, you can ride on pals that make zero sense to be able to ride on. There's a panda you just hold on to his back. There's a there's a <laughs> giant dinosaur that does not have anywhere to sit, so you just kind of like hug him. <laughs> like if they can do that, you should let me ride like Entei or whatever in the next Pokemon game. <laughs> so. 
I, I do think that Pokemon's been making a move towards letting you ride more Pokemon, which is something that I really enjoy. But ever since like Sun and Moon, I think that was the one that added like you could ride on Tauros or something like that. It was that. like five fixed Pokemon you could ride on, but you couldn't just yeah. like it, in Pal World, uh, like half of the pals have some kind of an ability where you can interact with them. And sometimes mm. it's like, sometimes it's even they ride on you, <laughs> like with, uh, <laughs> like with the, the little chipmunk with the SMGs, he jumps up on your head, or like there's a fox you can use as a flamethrower that like jumps up into your arms. But like everything that can fly that is big enough for you to ride on its back, you can. And any pal that's like on four legs and relatively fast, you can ride it, and it's much faster than walking. Like. I just think that that added level of mobility is not only functionally very useful, it's also just really cool, you know? Like, even if it wasn't that much faster, I would still ride around on a wolf to get around <laughs> if you gave me the option. <laughs> well, it's especially cool in Pal World because, you know, all the battles just take place in the open world. There's not, like, a battle menu right. like there is in a Pokemon game. So when you're riding on the back of a wolf or on... I like for, to ride on the back of a deer just because, like, they're really big. Yeah. <laughs> and something about riding on a deer is just majestic, I think. For sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, when you're riding on them, you can control what attack they use and when they use it. And you can use those attacks for more than just attacking, you know? Like, the uh, the deer has this charge forward where it, like, puts its antlers down and just runs in a straight line. And, like, you can use that while you're fighting, or you can use it as a sprint or something like that. Yeah. Or if there's, like, a ledge uh, and you want to cross, like, a, a gap, you can use it to do that. The deer also has a double jump for some reason, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I guess that part's not as useful. But, you know, like, there's a lot of options, and you have more control over it than I think any of the Pokemon games have ever been willing to give. Yeah, I, I just think that... Pokemon always focuses so much on like symmetry and keeping all the the Pokemon kind of on the same level that sometimes they just don't let cool ones be cool in the right ways and that's kind of a bummer. Whereas I think Pal World they just recognize like yeah, some of the pals suck and some of them are awesome. What do you want us to do about it? <laughs> like but yeah, like let me ride a Pidgeot. Let me let me ride around on uh I don't. I don't even know what are some cool ones I would want to to, uh, like a fl- uh, uh, a Rapidash. Like ever since that one episode of the first season of the Pokemon anime where Ash went, did a race on on a Rapidash, I've been like, yeah, let me do that. <laughs> so. The thing with riding on a Rapidash is that it's got the flaming mane, so you'd need a like a flame proof. No, if it trusts you, or it just really be a good you. friend with it. That's part of the fiction. Yeah. Ash had to get its trust so he could ride on it. <laughs> so. Wow. They really thought of everything, yeah. except for the fact that some of the Pokemon are hotter than the sun. <laughs> yeah. Does this mean if I gain the trust of a bonfire, I can shake hands with it? Yep. I'm going to try that later today. I'll let y'all know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you need to make sure to burn an effigy of a friend. <laughs> that way the fire knows what form to take. <laughs> okay. Well... That's already a lot of Pal World slash Pokemon talk. I think it's time that we moved on to headlines. So, last episode, 
we were all like live service games are ruining the industry they are inherently bad and nothing is going to be the same ever again and boy howdy <laughs> we have a development so they made a good one maybe i don't know hell divers has only been out for like two days but everyone likes it so far i was that's what you're talking about right yeah i was thinking more about this this new collaboration between disney and fortnite <laughs> The two companies that just really needed another company to extend a hand. I can't wait to give Mickey Mouse a gun. Yeah. It's the thing we've all been waiting <laughs> oh, for. Oh, right. wait. We can reenact that uh, that video of Mickey and Goofy in the Vietnam War now. <laughs> <laughs> the thing we've all been waiting for. Oh, God. I just think it's crazy that they already announced that they're going to kill Goofy on <laughs> I hope that they give them the Vietnam War skins. It's overdue. They tried to kill Goofy in Kingdom Hearts, and Disney didn't have the courage to let them do it. So, so yeah, I this whole thing is is interesting to me because, like, on the one hand, I love Disney and I love Fortnite. Well, I have a love hate relationship with both of those things, I guess. But like, I think it's a collaboration that could breed some really cool stuff. But like, man, this is a this is a staggering development too, because Disney isn't just like, hey, let's let's make a new part of Fortnite that's all about Disney. Disney purchased a one point five billion dollar stake in Epic. <laughs> like, this is Disney basically being like, You're ours now. <laughs> Disney's like, we better make money for this or Epic Games is going to go down. Yeah. Epic Games will be more like okay games. Yeah. More like Epic Lames. <laughs> what is really interesting though is that what they've announced so far is pretty vague. Like they've announced what properties are going to be involved, you know, Marvel, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh Well, you're forgetting the big one. Avatar. Avatar, yeah. <laughs> like it's so funny to me when they do these like press conferences and they talk about all of their their big franchises and they'll just put avatar next to star wars like it's even remotely the same level well like James i mean Cameron i guess financially it, it kind of is <laughs> like yeah just for the films though. Right. like no one's out there buying avatar toys right right whereas like star wars was famously making toys of every tom dick and harry <laughs> in the movie right like <laughs> star wars kind of started as a toy brand <laughs> almost like that was, I mean, that was literally George Lucas' stake in it. <laughs> um, but, like, they've talked about what properties are going to be involved, but they haven't really said in what capacity yet. Which makes me think this is probably a collaboration that's still, like, way out. In its infancy. Right. Yeah. Like, it is. I, yeah. I don't know who it was from, but someone said this would be, like, years away that we actually see anything from it. Well, I think even the trailer itself said it was, like, coming soon ish or something like that like it had i i s h in parentheses or something um but i mean like the pictures they have shown off while again vague are interesting because they sort of suppose a different idea than what fortnite typically is so like user created content and like non-battle royale content are normally these really small islands with just like you do this one thing Whereas this is looking more like it's a it's a giant hub where you can access areas themed after all these different locations. And part of me is like, I think that could be really cool to see, but also incredibly boring to actually play. <laughs> so 
I'm, I'm interested to see how this develops and I'm, I'm interested to see how more information comes out of it. Um, part of me does feel like we're about to see a major shift though, where like every season of Fortnite is going to have some Disney character as like the thing. And I don't mean Disney, like typical Disney. I mean like Marvel or Lucasfilm or, you know, Avatar or something. Well, like I think. I mean, that's kind of already yeah. been the case for a while, hasn't it? I there guess was, that's fair. Because yeah. like mean, there was like, just a whole Marvel season. There was. And then. Well, that was a long time yeah. ago. But I, I'm talking like. From like the Spider-Man season Spider-Man on. Spider-Man yeah. and Gwen Stacy and. Doctor Strange. Darth Vader. Yeah. yeah, Darth Vader. It's just like every major character that you can imagine has been in a battle pass at some point or another. Yeah. Which again, it just goes to highlight how uh, bad that is, that they've all been in battle passes. Because the promotional video that they showed off of this showed a lot of those battle pass skins you can't get anymore. I could see Disney being what finally opens the floodgate to getting those skins again. I hope because so. Because I think that I think that if if they were like, you can now buy the the Tony Stark skin from fifteen seasons ago or whatever. I think I think Disney would would twist their arm to make that happen. Um, however, I, what I would really like to see, which this is not very related to the article at all, I would really like to see a system where it's like every season you can get like an item which will let you purchase like one skin from a previous battle pass that you don't have or something. Um, I think that if there was like some way to still get that stuff, but at a slower rate than it is now, I would be like all in. <laughs> I, w- I know it will never happen, but I'd just like to see them implement the same system as Halo Infinite, where the battle pass is just there forever. You just pick which one you're working on at a time. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think they would do that. That would no. that would throw out their like whole. I mean, as Jason has referred to it a couple of times, like their whole business model is FOMO. Yep. <laughs> so like if you get rid of that, <laughs> which I think is why even just like periodically being able to get one skin from a season from a previous season is unlikely to. So, yeah, but Disney putting one point five billion dollars into the company might be enough to make them change their. Mind. Oh, for sure. Like if anything is going to fundamentally change their business model, it is something like this. Um, I mean, they could always just do what they did back in the day and just. They already have a crappy version of a Tony Stark skin. Just make a new good one. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's what they did with John Wick. Yeah. Although that was only one season apart. Yeah. I looked it up, by the way. His name was The Reaper. Yeah, that's what it was. Anyone that's still wondering about that discussion from last episode, this is where you're getting closure on that <laughs> in a completely unrelated headline next week. Yeah. So, I, I just... I'm. I'm excited as like a gamer to see what this becomes, but I'm also nervous as a consumer. <laughs> so. You want to talk about being nervous as a consumer? <laughs> uh, you, you hear the big news from Xbox that they're looking to basically completely halt physical game distribution. <laughs> yeah. And part of me is not surprised in the slightest. Like this was clearly what they've been gunning for for a long time. What I am surprised for is that it's this significant of a drop off. See, I thought it was just going to be they were going to phase out physical media over time. Like, each console generation was just going to have a smaller and smaller emphasis on physical media. For Xbox, you know, specifically Xbox executives to just step out and be like, yeah, we're kind of done with disc. That feels egregious. And Xbox is already shooting themselves in the foot at every turn. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, did you guys see those, um, those really big leaks from back, like, 
still during the uh, the court cases with the FTC over the Activision stuff. Because one of the uh, one of the big okay. things that was leaked from that was a new version of the Series X console that was all digital and also oh, yeah, a cylinder. I saw that. It was a big cylinder. Yeah, real <laughs> even more ugly and inconvenient than the Series X already is. I don't. I like the current Series X. I think the like, Series I, X. I think that that's pretty nice design. I think it looks way of better. Of the than current the PS5. consoles, it's the best looking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Everybody told me, "Oh yeah, it grows on you with the PS5." Because I didn't get one until like a year after it came out. No, I've had it for like two years now. I still think that is the ugliest console I've ever owned. <laughs> so. Well, it grows on you. Of just, it's such an eyesore. You eventually learn not to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. I don't know. It's kind of like cataracts. Yeah. <laughs> I, but, uh, yeah, digital only is not a good way to go because as it's been clear, especially over the past few months, um, these companies do not care about you owning games. <laughs> they want to right. own them. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, did you guys see that uh, Sony is shutting down Funimation? Like, they, they combined Funimation and Crunchyroll. Yeah. And they're shutting down Funimation. And all of your digital purchases from from that storefront are just gone. Yep. And not only that, like they don't transfer over, even though, like the the libraries combined. So all of the same stuff that you already owned on Funimation is going to be on Crunchyroll. Yeah, you just won't own it anymore. And not only, yeah. and for some reason, that's just allowed. Not only right. that, it, but Crunchyroll is gonna is hiking its prices from like fifty yeah, five bucks a year to like eighty five bucks a year. Yeah, and not well, only was I mean, there that. A few weeks ago, too, there was there was another thing I think with Sony where they were shutting they were shutting Sun System down or something like that, where you were gonna lose their all their deal access. with Discovery ended. Yeah, so all of your stuff that you bought like from the Discovery Channel or whatever on the PlayStation storefront was just supposed to go away. But I think that they negotiated a deal. Yeah, they did end up where that, that stuff is safe for like another few years at the very yeah. least. Well, it, what's really crappy, though, is it kind of feels like that's intentional, right? Like, it kind of feels like setting up this system where you pay us for access to an item, and then we can remove access whenever, and then somewhere down the road, you'll have to pay us again on a different marketplace or something to access that same content. And, I mean, even even I mean, Destiny's not that... done this stuff. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean, I have to assume it's just... They're like, okay, well, if we take this stuff away, then they're just going to buy it again. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, like, you know, it would be easy for Sony to, you know, have some kind of account transfer thing between Funimation and Crunchyroll, but they just don't want to do it because there's no financial incentive. Yeah. Right. Right. And they're not going to do anything that doesn't have financial incentive. <laughs> it's a shame, though, because, I mean, you'd think that, like, the two biggest anime distributors being owned by the same company at the very least you'd expect that the one thing that would be safe would be your digital library and it's Have pretty I got clear bad that news that's not the you. case yeah well i mean i think that it it points to a more glaring issue in that your digital library isn't really safe on any marketplace yeah. i mean your digital library just isn't yours right right like it's Eventually, it's going to go away, even yeah. if it's on a system like PSN or the Microsoft Store, which are huge and too big to fail. It's not to say that they won't, you know, when the PS7 is, is out, who knows if PS5 games will still be accessible. I mean, 
and that's stuff that's only probably 10 years away and you know it's it's weird because they're capitalizing on the fact that there is intentionally not a lot of legislation around this kind of thing yet like we developed from a point of physical media only to digital media only so quickly that nothing is kept up right. and i think that they're eventually well okay ideally there would eventually be some kind of legal protections that says if you purchase something digitally you need to be able to access it forever however i think that companies like sony and microsoft have their hands in way too many pockets to let that happen yeah, <laughs> yeah and yeah X and that's why xbox going digital only it makes me uncomfortable well, just because like i think on xbox for the most part i've bought just about everything i own for <laughs> the series x digitally anyways yeah but not even being able to have the option kind of yeah. sucks well and just like the used game market is a pretty big deal these days even now yeah. it's not as big as it was during like the xbox 360 era just because i i think there are fewer people that are just going out to stores like gamestop regularly and trying to pick stuff right. up but like digital only completely destroys that market right yeah <laughs> For sure. And it, it's especially weird to see Xbox and PlayStation both doing it at the same time. Because I remember, you know, a big part of uh, when the Xbox One was announced, you know, Xbox was like, oh, you know, with our system, you're not going to be able to do used games, basically. Like, when you buy a game, it's going to be linked to your account, so you won't be able to resell your copy. I don't remember what the positive spin on that was, but I remember it was a big deal. And PlayStation, you know, they come out and they're showing off the PS4. And the two big things that they announce are the fact that it doesn't have to be online all the time and that you can play used games on it. And literally the next console generation, they're just like, eh, changed our minds. We found out there's more money to be made in digital only. Yeah. Don't have to pay Walmart. <laughs> um, yeah. And Xbox has just already been pushing digital only for a while now through Game Pass. And they are very, I mean, they are I very clearly not letting is, up on that. It's pretty clear that Xbox is just going to be doing a lot of really dumb stuff over the next couple of years. Because, you know, I don't, don't like to talk about the console wars. Because I think it's stupid. But PlayStation, supposedly... I've seen reports where it's saying, like, the PS5 outsold the Xbox 2 to 1. Yeah. Which is... Yeah. <laughs> and Xbox is just floundering with their marketing too. I mean like one minute they're talking about how like their big thing is going to be exclusives and then the next thing is just like oh Game Pass is what we're all about. And now I mean there's a lot of rumors flying around that they might not even be doing exclusives anymore. Like all their exclusives are going to go yeah. off to PlayStation. I mean the big one that I've seen a lot of talk about is Hi-Fi Rush is supposedly going to be on PlayStation and Switch yeah. soon. Even even Starfield. I've seen back and forth on the that Starfield. That might not be thing. soon, but yeah. yeah. But like Hi-Fi Rush is a pretty big one. The, the rumors I saw for Starfield are specifically that once a Game of the Year edition of the game is available, that that version will be available on PlayStation, yeah. which that's it's still a, over a year away at this rate, but... I think even that's soon. Like even that's too soon. So I heavily expect there is a. I think they called it a business update coming this week from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I heavily expect that we'll see 
at least two Xbox games that are going to be coming to uh, multi-platform. Yeah, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for consumers because it means you don't have to own two consoles to play exclusive games when those consoles both cost 500 bucks each. Because, like, who wants to do that? Uh, I do feel like it could have an impact on... Uh, what's the right way to word this? I feel like it'll have an impact on, like, how competition will between the two console developers can breed better games. But I already feel like we're at a point where that's not happening anyway, so I don't think that matters anymore. When only one of them's putting out quality games. Right. <laughs> there's no competition. <laughs> right. It is good for the consumer, right? If Xbox games are available on PlayStation. But it's just how shaky Xbox has been yeah. with what their bottom line is, what their goal yeah. is for the Xbox. Honestly, it reminds me a lot of how Nintendo was behaving with the Wii U, which is crazy because like the Xbox Series X is not a bad console. It's the software that they're putting out that's the problem for the most part. Right. And I think that the Wii U had the opposite issue where like when the Wii U was coming out, it was really good software on just the worst console ever yeah. devised. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like because of that, Xbox Series X and S just are not performing the way that they wanted them to. Which I think Well, is... I'll tell you the big reason that I think that Xbox isn't performing is the Series S. Mm. I've said this many times, talking to you guys at least. Just I think that having this Xbox Series S and wanting complete feature parity between the two is really holding things right. back. Because the Series S is powerful, but it's it's not as powerful as the Series well, X. They have, they have the final... And it's not as powerful as the, the PS5. And it's embarrassing when you have games like Baldur's Gate 3 that just launch without features because the Series S can't handle co-op. Or... Which is really <laughs> weird because the Series S is by no means like a weak powered console. Like It is compared to the Series X and the PS5. I mean, that's true, but like... You played Forza on that thing. Forza Horizon Four still or five looks incredible on it. I I don't know. Yeah, but it's only being rendered at half the resolution. Yeah, and that's also an in-house game. Like they Xbox made yeah, that themselves, true. and they could really make the most of everything the console had on offer. Baldur's Gate to yeah, Xbox I mean, you was already a late game decision, and then on top of that, it had to significantly lower its standards to fit a console that. The other, you know, the PC and PS5 versions didn't have to accommodate. I mean, it, it's a, it, it really hurts it on the third party stuff. Like, I have a Series yeah. S. I do not have a Series X. And I think when I play first party Xbox stuff, like off of Game Pass, I think it's great for that. But I, I definitely notice a difference playing. There have been a few times where I've played a game on Series S and PS5, and the note, the difference is more noticeable than I originally expected. And then there's just, the fact that these first party games, there's so many advantages that you have when you're working on first party stuff. Like if you have a close relationship with Microsoft or Sony, they're going to give you hints and stuff like that. And you'll learn secrets that third party developers just aren't going to learn. I mean, the most famous example of this is, uh, you know, Crash Bandicoot back on the PS1. Yeah. You hear stories about how Naughty Dog put that game together. Compare Crash Bandicoot to just about any third-party game on the PS1, and I assure yeah. you that Crash Bandicoot looks better, plays better, runs better. For sure. And that's because since it was a first-party game, like they were able to talk to people that actually worked on the console itself, like people that knew what was going on. 
and they were just like yeah so there's all this memory over here that doesn't actually get used by games it's just uh to run the the console itself but you know when the game's actually running we don't necessarily need all that memory so naughty dog was like oh okay and they used that memory so their game just it has more it is more powerful than third-party games because it can take advantage of stuff on the system that no one else had or there's also silly workarounds like uh Morrowind comes to mind on the original Xbox release of Morrowind whenever a loading screen popped up the game actually completely rebooted <laughs> that's not necessarily the same situation but I just those two anecdotes are like completely intertwined in my head where I'm just like how do you figure that out why does that work yeah. our last headline is is pretty pretty connected to this one but I want to skip over it for a minute and talk about something that's not such a bummer for just a couple of minutes. Yeah, we don't need to spend much time on this, but I do think we do need to mention E3 is back. Well, we okay, thought it was so dead, e- but it's back yeah. and it's only for Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. Taco Bell had this little press conference thing uh earlier this week and man, it rules. <laughs> Like you want a Baja, ba- you want a Baja Blast pie, go get one. Yeah, it's it's very funny to me when they they when a company takes a page out of like Apple's book, or like they do these big press conferences to reveal these new new devices or whatever, and they do something completely different with that. Um, but Live Moss twenty twenty four, they. Taco Bell puts on this big press conference uh, live stream thing and they're like we got new menu items like boring Taco Bell item number one with variation boring Taco Bell item number two with variation like it was very much just like you can get a new chimichanga or a new chalupa but then they were like and also (laughs) but don't get their new enchilada I had it it's bad Baja Blast Pie that's and ice cream and ice cream that's when things that's when things went off the rails you know as someone who has been uncannily aware of uh fast food developments thanks to my brother my brother and me and their munch squad section you know these are the kind of things i look for and i love this um it is very funny to think how many millions of dollars probably went into making this happen (laughs) You Not know, just the pie itself. Taco Bell says that you are worth it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. They're here for you. I would never eat a Baja Blast pie. That sounds absolutely awful. Baja well, Blast ice cream. Yeah, I'd give that a shot. I would give both of them a also, shot. Also, nacho fries are back. They're yeah, but they bring back. nacho fries back every like two months. <laughs> okay, but nacho fries are my McRib. All right. <laughs> but they also well, my bring McRib the McRib back constantly. <laughs> No, they no. But the, they didn't use the it. McRib's yeah. dead now. It's not coming back. Definitely. They also it used to be special times. when the McRib came back, and now you expect it every year. And they're like, "Oh, the McRib is dead forever." But guarantee you, twenty twenty five, the McRib's going to be yeah, back. I, Maybe even this. I year. I also guarantee you, twenty twenty five and this year, nacho fries will be back. <laughs> well, they've already said for okay. sure with nacho fries. But yeah, it's. Everything about this was was very funny to me. Like the production value was out of this world, and they were like they. I mean, there were definitely some tongue in cheek jokes, but they played it very straight, which I really appreciated. <laughs> like, I heard that there was a giant enemy crab. 
I don't know how to. I don't know how to right play there. along with this one. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's fine. We can just move on. <laughs> yeah, it's. I I don't know. I love when brands do big stupid things, especially big stupid things that are going to lose the money. <laughs> so, which I mean, maybe this won't lose the money as a brand, but like they're definitely investing a lot of worthless money into the pie, especially when they could have just been like. Yeah, we're making Baja Blast Pie. Isn't that crazy? And it would have gone viral. And then afterwards, they were like, it's available at this one location for four hours. Um, it's available through a Twitter sweepstake. Oh, they also teamed up with an ice cream cane for ice cream tacos. Now that I'm fully invested in. I like to think it's not like one of those ice cream tacos you can already get at store. That's kind of like a Klondike bar. It's just a regular Taco Bell taco, but instead of ground beef it's ice cream and then you just still have lettuce and cheese on top why did you have to remind me that the choco taco got discontinued so i have to remind myself i was having a good so I have day to remind myself every day jason <laughs> pour one out for a fallen soldier um okay well that that's all we really have to say about taco bell at this this point in time uh now we got to get back to the upsetting stuff so. uh man Everything I've read about the movie Coyote vs. Acme has made me think this probably wasn't going to be a movie for me anyways, but I'm sad that I'm never going to get the possibility or the, the option to find out for sure. It should be illegal to just do what they've done. <laughs> so Should have called it Coyote vs. WB. Got there him. will be a doc- <laughs> there will be a documentary called that. I guarantee it. Absolutely. David da- Zaslav resigned. Yeah. If there isn't so, a if there isn't a documentary, at least a million podcast episodes called that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a YouTube video. I'm just gonna get in there. Talk quick. about what I expected <laughs> from the movie. It's gonna be six hours long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So basically, to, to summarize here. Uh, WB produced this movie, Coyote vs. Acme, which was going to be sort of like a, a, a mock courtroom drama uh, about Wiley Coyote. <laughs> um, and they they had all the, they had already filmed the movie. It was ready to go. They even had final edits, or not final edits, but they had like screening edits ready. And they they were seeking an offer for 75 to 80 million. Um, but we don't know exactly where they landed on that, but we do know that they were they rejected offers from Netflix, Amazon, and Paramount. So this movie is just well, not going to exist. Than, yeah. More importantly than just rejected offers, they refused to hear counter offers. Right. Yep. Right. Like it's pretty clear that they just wanted to bury this movie because, like, obviously, if you set a hard limit like seventy-five to eighty million, where you're just like, "This is what we want," Netflix is going to come at you and be like, "What about?" 50 million yeah <laughs> yeah and i guess warner brothers heard those offers and was just like no don't talk to us anymore right it's it's one of those things where clearly this movie was made with the intention of releasing like at some point in down the you know on this path they were planning to release it because it has you know some pretty big names in it it you know the, the stills look like it's pretty well animated like but Somewhere along the way, they realized this movie was not going to be a huge financial gain. So, they decided that, uh, instead, this movie is going to be a tax write-off. And they can't just say, 
scrap it, we're going to get the tax money back instead, they have to pretend that they have the intention of selling it and it's just not selling. Um, they have to at least like throw out the idea that they're going to accept bids and then just refuse them all. And this is something that we're seeing a lot of with movies on like the streaming services themselves. I mean, what was it? Willow uh, was pulled from Disney Plus within just like a few months of its release. Um, but this is sort of unusual to see a movie that is this far in its development that is then just scrapped altogether. I guess we kind of saw it with the Batgirl movie, but like this is on another yeah, level. It's a very similar. Situation. Like this is a finished product. Like this movie could well, potentially I think be gone was today. Finished too. Well, my understanding with Batgirl was that it had been filmed, but it was in the editing process when they decided to forego any future plans. Maybe I'm wrong, but like this movie, like they could release it today and it would be like a, a full complete movie. I've heard this theory that David Zaslav, Zaslav, how, I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> yeah. The CEO of, you know, Warner Discovery, whatever it's called these days. I've heard this theory that he just really hates the Looney Tunes. <laughs> that would be a very funny and thing. Every time that something like this comes up, I'm like, maybe he does. Yeah. Because also the report makes sure to point out that he has not seen the movie. And I can only assume that the only reason that you would just completely avoid a movie with this much controversy around it, you know, when it's when it's your movie is because you don't like the characters. He doesn't want to see the coyote finally win one. (laughs) Right. right? He's team Roadrunner, but he but he hates all of the other Looney Tunes. Because I'm I'm fairly certain the plot of the movie is that Wiley E. Coyote is suing Acme because, you know, every time he uses one of their products to catch the Roadrunner, he gets horribly injured. Right. I mean, I will say, at least with this one, it wasn't like they, they flushed the full, like, $90 million budget like they did with Batgirl. Like, this movie was mm-hmm. a smaller film with a smaller budget. Will Forte was, like, the only... Like really, really well-known actor in it. It had a lot of like B and C list actors, but um, I mean, it's just so weird. Like, why can they do this? They shouldn't be able to do this. But also, I don't understand the law to know what the alternative is. <laughs> I mean, I firmly believe that if you want to do this with a movie, you should have to like release whatever you have for it, right? I mean, I think that that's like th- this movie should become public domain. Right. That was if my tax money is going to pay for this movie to not be released, the movie should be public domain. Yeah. Especially like when it's in a state like this where it's completely finished, or at least like close enough. I don't mind watching a rough cut of the movie, but like the alternative is just that it disappears forever. And if it even gets leaked, then like Warner Brothers is going to get in trouble, so they're not going to let that happen. Yeah. Everything about it, just like from top to bottom, is it just sucks. Like this is executives abusing not only taxpayer money, but the creatives that made this movie happen. I mean, this is this is doing everything they can to make sure that no one is making any money on this except for Warner Brothers, and it's only going to come in the form of the tax write-off. <laughs> like, like I like to think that. You know, the CEO, he thought that he had watched this, but he was actually watching Looney Tunes back in <laughs> Right. And he was like, this does not need to be released to the public. <laughs> yeah. 
why did we spend so much money on CGI for Brendan Fraser? He hasn't looked like this in 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to think that... No, he he watched Looney Tunes back in action, and he was just like, it's too good. <laughs> they won't be able to fully appreciate it for years. <laughs> that joke where Scooby-Doo says he's going to have a Scooby snack. <laughs> it's too good. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I feel like... We're getting into this trend where all of our headlines are just depressing because there's never good news about the entertainment industry. But like at the same time, these are just especially egregious. Like this is just this this is a company being like, screw all of you, we got ours and we're done. So say no news is good news. But uh this show would be awfully boring if that were the case. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, that's already a lot of headlines. I got to I got to come up with another way to transition out of stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about some other news in the gaming world. So this was a pretty big week for for game reveals or not necessarily reveals but like game news and it mostly came from the state of play and Steam Next Fest, but we also have rumors that there's like a big Nintendo Direct coming around the corner, and and I feel like there have just been more game reveals and stuff than normal for this time of year lately. So we wanted to talk a little bit about you know what we're excited about, some of the standouts from State of Play and Steam Next Fest. Um, but Jason, I think I think you were definitely the one that that got the most invested in Next Fest, so I'll let you kick us off. What were some standouts? from the from the show well i didn't actually get a chance to watch the whole show but i did make sure to take some time to really poke around the store page and look for some fun stuff and uh i gotta say the thing that drew me in the most was when i saw duck detective (laughs) yeah yeah duck detective is like i guess the art style is like paper mario inspired where it is a detective game where you play as a duck. Wait, that's it. And you that's would the expect, whole pitch. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I When I was talking to Abby about this last night, she was like, oh, so the duck probably talks like Daffy Duck or, you know, <laughs> he makes weird noises or, or Donald Duck, you know, that kind of thing. Wow. And I'm like, no, the duck is a hard-boiled detective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, you, the duck is a hard-boiled detective who is addicted to bread as if it was alcohol. And I think that that And his wife so left him funny. because of his drug... Or his, his bread addiction <laughs> caused his wife to leave him. You think this is based on the uh, detective duck that Jonathan Banks made in Community? Or the one from Gravity Falls? Uh, the one in Community was not a detective. No, it was just a duck. Never mind. He yeah. himself, the creator, yeah, was a detective. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It it's very funny to me that like everything about this game came together in the way that it did because no two parts of this game match stylistically or tonally, but I think it it's such a funny final product. Like I I played through the demo, which is a bit disappointingly short, but it is very good. Uh I mean the highlight of the game is definitely just the duck detective's voice acting. Yeah. Like He's constantly talking in this low, dramatic, yeah. like, eh, the dame walked in with a yeah. look in her eye that said she was 
bringing some danger with her. <laughs> I also like the the trailer for it has this like incredibly funny moment when he walks up to the bed and there's it's just like a mattress on the floor I think and there is a loaf of bread sitting on top of it and he's just like ah oh, sweet soft loaf <laughs> like it's so good I am so excited for this game to release I have not checked any it of this, this one out yet it has this fun mechanic I will definitely be doing that at some point yeah it has this fun mechanic where a lot of it is based around you know talking to people in the environment to find keywords and also like interacting with stuff uh like there's a part early on i I guess it's near the end of the demo now i think about it but you need to get past this receptionist and the way you do it is by like going around the room that she's in and determining that like oh she's sad because no one in the office remembered her birthday (laughs) and the way that you like put all this together is by like there's a calendar nearby that has like the day marked and uh it's the calendar is a giraffe and the the person you're talking to is also a giraffe (laughs) and you're like going through cards uh not like birthday cards but like note cards uh you know like they leave at businesses so you can be like how did we do or whatever and you can read some of those and kind of put together the name of the receptionist and stuff like that and then there's this mad lib style board it's kind of similar to curse of the golden idol where you need to take all of those words that you found, uh, determine which ones are important, and then put together the statement of, you know, solving the mystery. Mm. <laughs> so, like, you find her name and you find the birthday thing, and then it's just like, blank is feeling this emotion. There was like an emotion that you could find. It was like, blank is sad because everyone forgot her birthday. And it's just really fun. <laughs> I'm sure it's not like super deep, but I'm really excited to see like how the story continues and what kind of puzzles that they can really put together as the game gets further in. Yeah, I think that a game like this lives and dies by the quality of the puzzles themselves. So I'm interested to see where this one goes. I think it has sort of a big hurdle in terms of like it might work well as a 15 minute game, but like how well do they capture that energy going forward? But you know, I, I I think there's a lot here. I think it looks it's it looks great. It's very funny. Um, I I'm excited. My first experience with Next Fest wasn't so positive. Uh, <laughs> I was watching Skill Up's videos, sort of talking about you know his and his team's personal highlights, and there was a game that immediately jumped out to me as like totally my kind of thing. It's a game called Rotwood, which is an isometric roguelike hack and slash kind of game, which is a genre that checks all the boxes for me. Um, And it's made by the developers of Don't Starve, which is a game I haven't played a ton of, but I played pretty early in its release. And I was impressed with like its style and like some of the stuff it brought, you know, to the table. So I was I was really interested and I like went and downloaded the, the demo before I was even like through their like three minute section about the game. And, like, I think it has some good ideas, but, man, it does not feel very good right now. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's sluggish, and enemies have a lot of health, so you have to hit them several times with your very slow attack. And enemy, like, enemy attacks were very telegraphed, I guess, to make up for the fact that everything was so slow. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. in the final product it'll come together a little bit better, and maybe if I would have saw a little bit more of it, I could have seen how, like 
the upgrades you get after each wave can kind of expand on your arsenal and develop it out more but right now it was it was not hitting how i wanted it to <laughs> um i did have one other game i was i was a lot more excited about it seems to be sort of a consensus on like this is a game a lot of people are excited about uh called dungeonborn um which is a multiplayer centric uh like first person hack and slash like very skyrim inspired i think in its term of like look and feel but i think it has a lot there it's sort of like a dungeon crawlery kind of thing but it's like first person action um it's kind of like what i was hoping uh oh what's that new obsidian game avowed yeah it's kind of what i was hoping avowed would be in terms of like the feel of it um and like I'm not saying that Avowed's going to be bad based on that gameplay trailer, but I do think it's it's an uphill battle. Whereas like I think this game is Avowed? pretty good. I think first person melee is always kind of rough, and it did it better than most. Um, and I think it also has some interesting concepts for like progression and how the dungeons work and all that. So I'm excited to see where this one goes. I think it's one that that could be a lot of fun, especially if you have like a crew for it. Um, but those are the only two that I've like actively played. I saw a lot of really cool stuff. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I think like are really smart ideas. I just didn't necessarily want to play a demo per se, like Crypt Master and Children of the Sun. But, you know, I think that Steam Next Fest had some cool stuff. There was another game, though, that I really wanted to hear y'all's take on. Um, the uh, oh, Pacific Drive. That was one of the games that I think was like the most visually interesting. and I But I wasn't really sure what to make of it. I... Did not watch any of the Next Fest stuff or play any of the demos, but I've been paying attention to Pacific Drive for a good bit now. Uh, I'm very excited for that one. It's already had some like, uh, like test preview stuff. Like Skill Up had a video from a preview that he did with it, um, and it it looks like it can be pretty good. It is a survival car game. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it's a survival action game where like the whole main thrust of the game is that you get trapped in this mysterious section of the world. I don't remember exactly what it's called. It's like the Atlantic exclusion zone or something like something, that yeah. where really weird stuff is going on. And as you're driving around like near the wall of this area, you get pulled in by some weird sci-fi magic force. And your car basically becomes magic. And the whole thing that you're trying to do in the game is escape and find out what's going on while you're also caring for and upgrading your car. It uh, it seems pretty interesting. It sounds like a cool... It sounds really cool. I like the fact that the car is just this Mm. absolute beater of a (laughs) station wagon. Like, it's not a very nice car. It's falling apart even before you get in. But once you're in there, like, you only have whatever materials that you can find, like, lying on the side of the yeah. road. Yeah, and, like, at the beginning of the game, the car starts out, like, really, really rough to drive. So it, it doesn't run well. You can, like, feel that it doesn't steer well. This is from what I've heard. Not what I've experienced, but... If only one of us had played it, I could tell you. Okay, tell me. I'm just saying, like, you're, you're talking about second-hand accounts. I got a first-hand account right here. Then tell me it. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what you said, right? <laughs> like, 
early on in the game, yeah, the car, as soon as you get into the zone, like when you're driving around at first, your car drives fine. But once you actually get like pulled in, you're kind of stuck using like just a wheel that you found on the side of the road, essentially. And when you install that on your car, like it's not properly installed. So, you know, it it, like falls off before you even get to where you're headed. So then you have to head back out and find the wheel, install it back on your car. I thought that it was a really cool idea, and I I played through, I guess, like, half of the first mission that it lets you play. Um, I do have some pretty major complaints just with uh, the optimization on PC, and I know it's just a demo, so hopefully when the full thing actually comes out, it'll be a lot better. But when I was playing it, I had the settings all on Ultra because that was, you know, what it defaulted to, and I was only getting, like, 15 frames. but after I played for a little bit, I realized like how bad the frame rate was, and I was kind of expecting it to get better. But when I put everything down to medium, I was only getting 20 frames. And you would expect from like jumping from ultra to medium that you'd see more than a more than like a 20% increase in your frame rate. So I'm not really sure what was going on there. That said, like, I really like the aesthetic of the game. It's got this cool, like, retro futuristic vibe to it where there's a lot of, like, analog VCR-type tech, and then you'll also have, like, just fusion generators that are powering the houses and stuff like that. It's it's a really cool aesthetic. The art style's really nice. Hmm. Uh, it was really dark. And I, I think the idea is, for the most part, that you're supposed to, like, move your car around to provide light for you, but sometimes that that's just not super convenient. I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see how they handle it in the game. If there's like a flashlight that you get later, maybe I just didn't play far enough to get the flashlight. Yeah. But when you're spending so much time kind of moving like around behind buildings and stuff like that, looking for resources, it's kind of annoying when mm. you need to move your entire car <laughs> so you can see the back side of a house. That said, like, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on it still. Yeah. And. I'll probably end up picking it up on PlayStation instead of PC, but I'm excited for it still. So, I mean, there was a lot of stuff revealed at Next Fest, specifically a lot of stuff that I thought looked kind of cool, but more I'm just going to keep an eye on that I'm like definitely all in on. <laughs> um, so I'm sure we'll be talking about some of these games mm-hmm. further down the road, including some more that we you know, haven't discussed yet. Now, I will say maybe it's maybe it's my own personal preferences shining through a little too much, but that state of play, though, like everything looked really cool (laughs) like they knocked it out of the park on like that one i mean every game they showed off whether it was one i was previously excited for or not i feel like it was really good trailers showing off a lot of really good stuff yeah i mean it was pretty crazy sony definitely knows how to put on a show at this point (laughs) yeah I think yeah. the first thing that really stood out to me, though, was was Rise of the Ronin, which I've already said is my most most anticipated game of the year, other than maybe Final Fantasy VII. Um, because this trailer, I think, was really cool because it showed a different side of the game. Um, I kind of assumed the game was at least vaguely like Neo, because, you know, it's sa- same developers and it looked like it was sort of in the Souls-like vein. But this trailer showed off that it's it's not really that. Like, the combat is still kind of that, but this game has a much bigger emphasis on mobility and exploration and just diversity of location than I expected, and I think that's a really good thing, and I'd also, 
makes me realize that this game might have more appeal to y'all <laughs> than I was originally expecting. Yeah. <laughs> I was not initially super excited for this one, but when he pulled out the grappling hook and then like threw himself off of a chimney of a building into a glider, I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll pay a little bit more attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I was really excited about this one before and I think this one only only expanded that. I I really think this game's going to be great. Um I've learned from my past predictions not to bet anything on that, but everything I've seen just looks so cool from a combat perspective and a world design perspective and now seeing that the movement and mobility is so so emphasized I think is is really pointing towards this one being a hit. Um, mm-hmm. Team Ninja always has sort of an uphill battle because I think that their games always hit a niche audience really well, but they have a hard time branching out to a larger group. I think this could be the game that finally like really puts them on the map if it is what it looks like it's going to be. I generally like Team Ninja. Uh, I, I think that generally like the games that they make tend out that tend to be really good. I mean, like Neo, all of their Souls-like games that they've made, I've heard good things about. Ninja Gaiden's, you know, huge. Dead or Alive. Eh. <laughs> I've heard that fighting game fans like yeah. it. It's not my kind of game, really. Yeah. I just don't know. But then I'll look it. through their their discography or their uh, not discography. I'll look through like the list of games that they develop, and I'll see like Metroid Other M, and I'm like, maybe you should keep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A wide berth from them sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> But you really liked Wolong Fallen Dynasty. I did. I uh, did. And I, I imagine that the combat in this is going to be fairly similar to that. I think this looks a little more dynamic. I I think it looks like you have a much more uh, fine-tuned toolkit, which generally speaking mm-hmm. in a game I think is actually a good thing because I think when you don't have to accommodate for a thousand different weapons, I think the ones that you do have are more precise and better designed for it. Like I still think that Sekiro is the best Souls-like game just because of how good the combat feels. And I think it feels that good because you really only have the one primary weapon, your katana. Mm-hmm. The game isn't having to build around 50 different playstyles. And I think this game is kind of going more that route where it's like you have... You definitely have options, but you have more of like a fixed primary toolkit. And I think that's going to make yeah. it better in the in the long run. Yeah, I, so, I haven't seen much of that one, but... It- it looks like it could be pretty good. So the next one's a weird one because a lot of it I thought did look good, but then reading a lot more about the Silent Hill, about what people thought about the Silent Hill uh, 2 remake trailer after, a uh, lot of contention on that one because I've mm. I've never played any silent hill game or really know much about them other than that they spooky and scary um so like i didn't think the trailer for the remake looked all that bad like there were definitely some points kind of uh in line with the the comic sans sign from that the hd remaster that didn't look great but um people from what i understand are not a big fan of this being in line with like the resident evil survival horror games yeah, well, Silent Hill 2, you know, I think a lot of people have built it up to be the greatest horror game of all time in a lot of ways. And I think that people are going to be a little bit unhappy with just about anything they would have put out. Mm-hmm. But Silent Hill has never been 
an action game the way that uh, Resident Evil 4 was. Right. Right. And seeing a lot of the gameplay that they showed off, it looked a lot more action-focused. It looked a lot faster-paced. And I think that what people really want from Silent Hill is, you know, the slow, methodical... Like, a methodical, like, slow burn kind of game where the horror really... It's just how strange the environment is and the enemies and stuff like that. And then I, I saw a lot of people complaining about how, you know... Whereas the original Silent Hill, and part of this is just due to engine limitations, you know, like there was a lot of stuff where it was just subtle things in the environment. And then when they've made this remake, it'll just be like really obvious things written in the wall. And it's in like a dumb looking font that no one would actually handwrite. And <laughs> like people just have a lot of issues with the presentation primarily. I don't really know that much about Silent Hill 2. It's kind of a hard one for me to talk about. Because, like, I know that it is really important to so many people, yeah. but it's also, like, kind of inaccessible to me because I didn't play it when it came out, and I'm not, like, super big into horror games anyways. Like, I don't know if I'm going to play this remake even, so. Yeah, I like, am. it doesn't look, <laughs> it doesn't look bad by any means. Um, Whether, whether I give it a chance or not is still, it's still probably going to be a little till. I'd make that decision. <laughs> I'm looking uh, forward to it. I definitely, I was kind of in the same boat as Jackson where I didn't really notice a lot of the negative things people pointed out online until after the fact, but like, I'm still looking forward to it. I, I think it's going to be a good one. Um, at least in terms of like a good way to play the original, even if it's not going to necessarily do anything, you know, truly special or unique to itself. Um, that being said, I you know there's a lot of big games coming this year, so who knows? I might just not have any time whatsoever. So. There's also the fact that this one's being developed by Bloober Team, which I I don't think they have a great track record. Uh, I don't think so. I know they made the the Demon Souls remake, which I don't think people really liked. No, that was the Demon Souls remake. Yeah, that was the that was it? Blue Point. A blue point. Okay. Blue point is like it's a very different. Game. Blue point does like they're like one of the best in the business at remakes. Everyone uh, loved the Demon Souls remake. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm thinking of something else then. No, Bloober Team made Layers of Fear and like the Blair Witch game oh. and the Medium. Oh. Which I don't think any of those are particularly well received. I think people like Layers of Fear one, maybe. I think. I feel like one of them was pretty well received. I think the Medium people. People were okay with. No, like, <laughs> big love or anything for it. Um, the, the next game, though, is definitely my most anticipated game for this year right now. It only comes out in a few weeks. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, the game that they knew everyone was so excited for, they decided to just give it its own state <laughs> of play. Yeah, yeah. This game and it looks... was a good one. <laughs> It was. It was really cool. Just getting to see all the different characters and like all the new stuff that they're bringing to Final Fantasy VII. I feel like it's going to make going back to the first one kind of difficult. Yeah. yeah. The first remake game. Well, <laughs> Just... this, this trailer showed off the one thing that I think this game really needed above all else. And that was... The Golden Saucer. Yeah, it was... <laughs> going on a date with uh, Cat Sheik or whatever. I don't remember. Kate Sith. I know it's not pronounced like it looks. Yeah. Uh, it 
it needed these diverse and expansive environments. The first game was good, but you you were going through the same repetitive reactors in tight hallways over and over and over again. And seeing mm-hmm. how different the environments in this game are and how wildly different the places you're going to visit are, I think was like the one thing I needed confirmation on to like, I am like confident this game is going to be massive now. And that's that was good. That was all I needed. But on top of that, it also showed off all sorts of cool abilities you can use when you're not in combat. And it showed off all these vehicles and mini games. And I mean, this was just a really great trailer for, you know, going all out. Like this was the one that's like, this game is even bigger than you were expecting. And then it had its own state of play, which was, how long was that state of play? (laughs) Oh, I thought you were talking about the stuff from the, uh, when you said trailer stuff, I thought you were talking about like the state of play that was everything. (laughs) No, I mean like the extended ah, state of play trailer. Yeah. yeah, which also had a demo revealed at it. Uh, I haven't played yeah. that yet. If any of you played the demo, no, yet? no I'm not going to. Um, I am going I, to. <laughs> if it was like one of those things where you could play like the first couple of hours of the game and it could carry over progress, like they did with Final Fantasy 16, I'd be into it. But since it's just like a chunk of the game that you'll have to replay when you get to that point in the base game, I'm, no, I'm not going to. That's bother. not true. Uh, oh. So the demo is going to be two different parts. The first part is the Nibelheim flashbacks, which I mean, I'm not sure by any means, but the way that they were talking about it makes it seem like that is just the beginning of the game anyways. Um, And then later on, like a like a week before the game launches, they're going to have another part that's going to be more centered on showing like the exploration side and open worldness of the game um and if you complete both those parts in the demo you don't have to do them in the base game which is kind of weird um but yeah <laughs> so progress does turn true i really liked the way that they did the platinum demo for final fantasy 15 i wish more games would do stuff like that where like it provided some context to the characters and stuff like that but it wasn't stuff from the game like it was you playing some events from Noctis's childhood, followed up by like a dream sequence that he's implied to have in the game, but you don't actually get to play. I think it would be cooler if they would just do stuff like that more often. <laughs> that way, like you can play the demo without having to worry about spoiling anything in the game mm-hmm. or, you know, needing to worry about progress carrying over or anything like that. Yeah, uh, I'm probably just. You also got a summon if you played the demo, and there was no other way to get the summon than playing that demo, so that was kind of neat. Uh, I don't know if I'll play the part of the demo that's releasing later this month, but I am going to check out the uh, the Nibelheim flashback part. It comes out in like two weeks. I'm just going to wait for the game. I've already point. downloaded it. I've got it. other stuff to do. Yeah, we got... Uh, well, it's it's like three weeks, almost four. No, it's almost, it's exactly three. Yeah, so like, we don't have much longer either way. I am thinking this game is probably going to be like the game that really comes out in front of the pack as like the game of the year. Um, not just for us, I mean, I mean like for like the game awards and stuff. But I am prepared to be proven wrong as I often have been with my guesses for games. Our second so, game of the year I'm, nominee I'm, for 2024, really the first being Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. 
Well, it was my most anticipated game last year. How's that so, going yeah. for you? I I've played less of it than Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it turns out Persona Three came out too, and I've been playing that instead. Yeah. I I'm really excited. I really liked the presentation of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Like, it looks really cool. I'm excited to see you know all the big differences because you know we talked about this before, but it's not it's not so much a sequel or a remake as it is just a completely new reimagining of the same like general tale right. but you know events are happening differently they've already showed off that Zack is going to be there and you Not know there in the original spoilers for a game from 1997 but uh Zack is supposed to be dead so yeah. <laughs> it could be a sequel a we don't actually know again. but uh, well I mean it definitely is like the events of Final Fantasy 7 already happened. We just don't know if it's like a alternate universe or if like it's a time is cyclical or if it's like like there's a like we know the events of Final Fantasy 7 happened. We don't know the context in which they happen. My so, theory is that it's uh either another timeline or universe uh where Sephiroth has gone to and messing things up. And that's why this is ghost things cuz they're like time or something protectors <laughs> i think we talked about this a little bit when we did an episode on final fantasy 7 remake but my working theory is that sephiroth from final fantasy 7 rebirth is the is the sephiroth from the original final fantasy 7 who is trying to reenact his plan more efficiently and like trying to get his grips on the plan earlier in this universe and the ghosts are trying to like course correct because what happened in Final Fantasy VII originally is what is supposed to happen. And the ghosts are sort of like trying to correct the timeline. That's my working theory. Yeah. That could all be complete nonsense in the end. So <laughs> I think that this game is going to have some big reveals. And it's going to be nothing like what even we expect at this point. Yeah. I, I do really think that this game is going to just take everything completely off yeah. the wall. And part of that is because I know that Tetsuya Nomura is working on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love Nomura. He can't leave well enough alone, so we know this game is going to go buck wild. Yeah. Uh, fun Final Fantasy drinking game. Take a shot every time you see a belt. <laughs> God. You'll What's... die in the first scene when it's panning up from Cloud's feet to his head. <laughs> For me personally... The big game, though, that they showed off at these state of plays and the trailer that just had me sitting there with my mouth agape was definitely Death Stranding. Yeah. Uh. Maybe one of the most insane off the wall trailers that I've ever seen at a show like this. It's also a nine of minute just... trailer. Yeah, it's nine minutes long, but it's it's nine good minutes. <laughs> I haven't even yeah. beat the first Death Stranding or have even gotten close. And this trailer already blew me away and makes me want to play the second one when it comes out. This trailer is so wild. Like, I did beat Death Stranding a few weeks ago. So, like, recently finished the game. And, like, I'm still in that point where I'm kind of looking up other people's takes on what the ending meant and stuff like that. And I saw this trailer and I'm just like, what is going on the entire time? Yeah. It is definitely taking a turn that I never would have expected from the first game. I'm very excited for this. The fact that there's like cyborg ninjas that sound like babies and <laughs> robots to fight all over the place. Like that's one thing. 
But then there's a stop motion animated puppet that is just like one of your partners for that the sits game. Sits on like your belt, like Mimir in God of War. Yeah, and he makes like cat noises and turns into a demon. It's just everything about it is absolutely insane, and I'm I'm really excited to see specifically the social media presence for this game leading up to its release because i want to know if like that's all we're gonna get or if it's gonna get even weirder before it actually comes out you also can't remember that uh uh what's his name? it's higgs right that's his name yeah he's yeah. back but now he's a uh flamboyant joker that has a guitar that shoots lightning when you play it like a guitar but is also an axe i have a theory for higgs but i I don't want to go into it because it's very spoiler. Uh, I am planning to play but, this soon when I finally finish Cyberpunk, so I yeah. don't really want spoilers. <laughs> I don't think that Higgs is in his own body. Mm, I'll figure out what that means. I also I think that he might be uh, a ghost like Mads Mikkelsen too, which is very weird. Huh. Now, Death Stranding, like, there's this whole thing where the beach like represents the the border between you know our world and the afterlife. Yeah. And like the BTs are creatures from the afterlife. They're made of uh, antimatter. And when they interact with people in the real world, it causes, you know, the the matter and the antimatter to react and explode. Uh, And then there's Mads Mikkelsen's character, and he is just straight up a ghost. Interesting. There is no explanation given for him whatsoever. He is just a ghost. I don't know that yet. That is. Huh. Oh, I guess I should mention, since you brought up the beach, it's called Death Stranding 2 on the beach. Which I thought was a really funny yeah, name at the, first. The beach is very I, important to Death Stranding. I thought that was a really funny name at first, and I just pictured... Um, can't think of his name now. I uh, just pictured Daryl Dixon on the beach Norman with like Reedus. sunglasses and like a floral shirt with a monster energy. <laughs> and then the baby's just like there in the pod, just in the ocean. You should really play Death Stranding. I will I, when uh, I finally finish Cyberpunk. It's very good. <laughs> I'm almost there. If you play now, you should have access to a fair amount of my roads just because we we signed that contract or whatever. I don't know exactly how it works. I think it's only like a certain amount of my stuff that'll pop up in your world, but it it should help you out quite a bit. Mm. I had to build all the roads myself. (laughs) You might still have to build them all. It might only give you like half progress, but that's better than what I had for a lot of the roads. The way that multiplayer works in Death Stranding is really cool. I don't know if we've ever really talked about it, but like it's just a subset of the items from any given player's world that pops up. And especially there are these zip lines that you can place down. And it's basically the best way to get around a lot of the areas because, you know, when you when you start getting up into the mountains where there's like a lot of snow, one, the snow causes your stuff to deteriorate faster. And two, like just getting around in that kind of stuff, like walking through it is harder. It takes more energy. It takes longer to do. So you start building this pretty big network of zip lines. And the way that the multiplayer works is that in every given area, you only get one zip line from each player. Hmm. So you'll never just have like a complete zip line, you know, uh, network set up for you from the other players. But it does incentivize you to figure out how to use the individual zip lines from random people that you were given to make your own network. It's so cool. I, <laughs> Death Stranding is the coolest 
multiplayer non-multiplayer game that I've ever played. <laughs> All this to say, there is a lot of really, really cool stuff on the horizon. I, I feel like 2024 uh, at the offset did not look like onset. Not offset. <laughs> at the onset did not look like there was going to be much in store. And I know like that Stranding specifically said 2025, but I feel like after this data play, we, we've learned that there might be more coming than expected. And hey, these rumors are true. We might have a big one for Nintendo coming this week, too. So we'll have a lot to talk about, which I was not originally expecting. But that's a lot of Power World, a lot of headlines, a lot of game news. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else that you have been into? I bet it's something he's never <laughs> talked about before. It isn't. Something I've never talked about. So I, I've still been keeping strong with Cyberpunk. I think the first time I talked about this was our Game of the Year episode when I had uh, Phantom Liberty on there. I think I've only talked about it once since. But it's a long game. I'm I'm still still not at the end. I, I'm at a point now where I could be at the end but I still have a bunch of side quests to finish up and where I just haven't had a whole lot of time to play it because of, you know, college classes and all that. I've only been able to do like one side quest every like two days. So uh, I I might finally beat this game a month from now. <laughs> so then you're going to talk about it in a month <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> but uh, that said, uh, still enjoying it. It's still, still really good. Probably some of the best, like, dialogue writing i've seen in a game not like specifically like story writing or overall writing but specifically dialogue writing like i feel like when it comes to games like this say like um the closest thing i can think of is like any any bethesda style rpg or anything like that i usually don't feel very connected to the characters i feel like a lot of their voice lines just are kind of meaningless and I especially never feel connected to the protagonist, but I definitely feel that a lot in Cyberpunk. It actually feels like they're real characters. Feels like the protagonist is a real character. Uh, but that's mostly because unlike, you know, Bethesda-style RPG, it's not your own character. It's a mostly predetermined character. Like, you know, you can pick your upbringing in the game, whether you want to be like a street kid, uh, no matter, corpo. But that doesn't change a whole lot of the game. It mostly just changes, like, available voice lines and stuff. It mostly just affects, like, the opening of the game uh, more than anything. Um, But it it's just nice to be able to feel like I'm actually playing as a character and not an NPC. Because that's usually what I feel like when I play anything like a Bethesda-style RPG. Where it's just this voiceless protagonist that just... Kind of feels personalityless. I mean, I I prefer that. I don't. <laughs> I I think that when you're playing an RPG, like you get to decide what the character sounds like and looks like, and that's why they don't have voice protagonists usually, right? See, so it's like your imagination gets yeah. to fill in the blanks for you. I get that, but I'm much more of a fan of predetermined characters, and I think this is a good gap between that because you can play you can play V however you want to play V. That's the main character. Um, like you can decide the things they do. It just, it is also still just V, not you know, Joe Schmimini or whatever you name your character. 
Yeah, but um, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I think it's nice in very linear games. I think in RPGs like Cyberpunk, it's kind of weird because you can play V like a straight up psychopath, or you can play him like the second coming, right? But he's still going to talk the exact same way in every cutscene because, like, his voice isn't going to be different because you've killed 400 innocent civilians. And it's also not going to be different because you've never killed anyone in your entire life. Right? Yeah, and I think that's where like the imagination stuff. It's something I've really enjoyed. I, I do think that Cyberpunk has this big emphasis on character yeah. writing, but I think V is kind of, from my experience at least, suffers from it more than benefits. Maybe it's just where I've played a lot more of the game than you have, but I strongly disagree. <laughs> um, but that said, I don't have much more on Cyberpunk. That's that's it. I will come back in a few weeks. So, Jason, what have you been playing? Uh, I've been playing Yakuza 0. Basically, I saw like how much people were talking up the new Yakuza game, uh, Infinite Wealth, and I really want to play it. But before I do that, I feel like I need to get the history of like who these characters are. Like, who is Kazuma Kiryu? <laughs> and what's going on with this whole world? Like, what's up with the Yakuza? Are they in Hawaii now? I don't think that makes sense. Spoilers, they're not. So I was like... <laughs> I decided, yeah, I wanted to start at the beginning of the franchise. Um, and I know that Yakuza 0 is the, a prequel, so it's kind of weird to call it the beginning. Uh, but I don't think it has quite the same number of spoilers as if you were playing something like Metal Gear Solid and you started with 3. So hmm. everywhere I saw online said that 0 was a good starting point. And I, I gotta say, I really like Yakuza 0. It's a lot of fun. Um I think, like, the different combat stances that you have, like, all feel really unique and pretty inventive. I mean, the fact that one of the characters, uh, Majima, has a whole fighting style that's just based on breakdancing and doing, like, cool poses at the end of his combos. (laughs) That's really fun. I've enjoyed doing, like... I've been trying to focus on doing the sub-stories as they get unlocked, because I've never been, like, a huge guy for going out of my way to explore, and... The two maps in Yakuza 0 are both like fairly large and there's a lot of alleyways and stuff like that. So I didn't really want to miss anything. So I, I, I've been looking at a guide to tell me like at least where they start and trying to take them all out as I get to them. And I've, I've really enjoyed like how zany the different characters could be. I mean, like one of the highlights of uh, the side missions for me is there's one where you run into a kid standing outside of a store and he's really excited to buy a video game. And then you, uh, you leave and you come back and you find him like crying outside the store and you find out that like someone stole his video game. So you go after the guy that stole his video game. And when you get to him, uh, right before you talk to him, someone else steals the game from him. And this continues like two or three more times. And then you get to the end of it and it's like the kid's dad got the game for him. (laughs) Uh, but he couldn't get a copy like legally, so he had he like hired someone to steal it. It's like very fun and wacky stuff like that. And then the the fact that you can just go bowling or play karaoke whenever you want. <laughs> yeah, I I think that the side missions and like the activities that you can just take on whenever are really fun. I I really enjoy Yakuza Zero. So if you haven't given it a shot, I can at least say that this one is good. Um, I've been playing the story. I haven't made it like super far in, but I think I've done like 80% of the sub stories. I've been playing Yakuza like a dragon, which was the last Yakuza game before the new one. 
and I, I love it. I haven't played quite enough of it that I wanted to talk about it today, but I do want to bring up one specific sub story because one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a video game where you're just out walking around the city, you come across this uh, new dad who is just exhausted from having this baby and like having to completely change his life to accommodate. And as you're talking to him, you hear a baby crying from inside the building behind you. And it's not it's not this guy's baby. But like as a new father, he's like, we need to do something to help this baby. Um, so like you have to go out and find some items, like some stuff to make baby formula and all this kind of stuff. And once you do, when you come back, you like go up to the place and knock on the door. And inside is not a baby. It's a bunch of fully grown adults wearing diapers that are into baby kink. <laughs> and then you fight them because they're creepy and weird. Incredible. And instead of the resolution just being you beat up these weirdos, uh, these people in diapers teach the new dad a valuable lesson about the importance of being present as a father. <laughs> it's absolutely deranged. And yes, I know that was like kind of a big spoiler, but it's even weirder than I made it sound when it actually unfolds. So like the Yakuza games are just, they're something else. My plan is to play Like a Dragon and then play Zero and then play the new game. I am not going to play all of them, but I do want the, I mean, the new game is dual protagonist between uh, Ichi and Kazuya. Um and I wanted to at least play the first game for each of those characters to, you know, get their vibe first. So. It's uh, it's Kiryu. Kiryu. Kazuma Kiryu. Yeah. Kazuya is the guy from Tekken. There we, yeah. Yep, there we go. <laughs> uh, I'll be quick with my pulling the plug because that was kind of also a pulling the plug. Uh, <laughs> I've been playing Ember Knights. It is a roguelike isometric hack and slash like pixel art graphics. Um, it's a lot of the things I look for in a game and it's a game that I, it's been out for a couple of years in early access. I think it's been out for like several months as a full release. It's a game I come back to every couple of months, but I've been hitting it especially hard the last couple of weeks. You know, it's just, it's a really fun, frantic, high energy game, which I really appreciate. It's got a lot of really interesting builds. Uh, the whole pitch is that you play as a little spark that's like a resurrecting soul and um, when you pick a weapon, you also kind of get a body of like someone who has died that had that weapon. It's very Dead Cells-like <laughs> in essence, but tonally it could not be more different. Um, but you just, it's its a hack and slash where you run through fighting lots of colorful enemies, sort of akin to like a, a Hades. That's probably the most widely known game of this style. Um, it, it has a... It has a very different progression system than Hades, and it, I don't think it has quite as cool of a hook, whereas like Hades, you're getting the powers of the gods, and in Ember Knights, you're just picking up items that buff different stats and give you different passive abilities. But I still think it's a lot of fun, um, has a cool style to it. The, each run feels really good and has a lot of distinct uh, you know, power-ups and things that kind of separate them. It's not going to be for everybody. I think this is sort of a very tried-and-true roguelike. It's not going to have a lot of hooks to bring in outside people. But as someone that just likes roguelikes, I, I think it's a real good one. So uh, if you're if you're interested, you can pick it up for like 15 bucks on, I think it's on every console now. It's on PC and PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. So 
if you like roguelikes, if you like brief, you know, like you can just run through, kill a bunch of enemies, and you're done after half an hour. It's it's definitely in that that vein. So, but check it out. Um, I like it a lot. But I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter slash X, it's at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, it's at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear about your thoughts on some upcoming releases. We'd love to hear suggestions for what games and topics we talk about. Um, if you have thoughts about Final Fantasy VII, the demo, or the final game once it releases, definitely let us know. We'd love to read them on the podcast. Uh, we don't know exactly what we'll be talking about next, but we do know that something about Final Fantasy VII is coming down the pipeline real soon. Um, but yeah, so so send in your thoughts on that. And we'd love to read it. Also, we are in the midst of the year of the gear. <laughs> uh, we have been streaming Metal Gear Solid on twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Uh, we are about two-thirds of the way through the first game. Um, we're just going to keep on chugging, try to get through as many of these as we can. A uh, lot, of, lot of fun stuff ahead. This series goes some wild directions, I have been told. For the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I am Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>